This podcast is building to a mixed media performance installation about women's journeys and the real imagined concepts of the present Pangea. It's produced by Lucille International Theater Company based in Houston, Texas. The photography in the final exhibition will be featured by Rashad Hawk. The sound design and music is composed by Garrett Gonzalez. And a special thank you to Carol Keating, Debbie Bai, and all of our Kickstarter backers and everyone that has given their support to this project. I'm Melissa Flower. I'm Lisa Villegas. This is Pangea. وبالتحديد من مدينة البصرة جنوب العراق ويعني كنت مشغولة بكليتي أنا خريجة فنون يعني أكاديمية الفنون. Thank you for tuning into Pangea. Today you'll meet Asal, a theater artist from Iran and Turkey. I'm from Iraq, from the city of Basra, south of Iraq. This interview was originally conducted in Arabic. If you'd like to listen to that, you can check it out in our episode feed. What you hear is an English interpretation of what was said during this interview. I'm a graduate of fine arts from the Academy of Arts. Our goals were always to come to the U.S., As for Houston, we knew someone here, a friend, and he was the one who suggested it for us. He helped us, so that's why we came here, and until today, we came to see if we will stay here. We arrived here approximately seven months ago. Maybe I find a job in a theater here in a street, any street I can go to. I can dance in the street. So what I mean, our ambitions does not aim towards a specific state. But we do want to change. Maybe we can go for work or art. At the same time, as for Houston, it is warm here. So it compensates for the cold we experienced in Turkey. My body was changed by the cold weather and my legs hurt from the cold. So we want to get as much heat as possible. Another thing, I work with folklore, and I have a dance team in another state, Kentucky. So I don't know if I'm going to work with him. Maybe I'll go. My entire family, we're all artists. My family drew and occasionally wrote poetry. They sang. They have good voices. But I was the risk taker in the family. They wouldn't be okay being on TV. And so the ambition was in me, and I studied the arts. When we applied for immigration, the Turkish national security picked the city for us. I had wanted to go to Ankara or Istanbul, because Ankara and Istanbul probably had more appreciation for art. My family are currently in Iraq, and there is little communication between us. They live in Basra, and others live in another city called Digar also south of Iraq. I have five brothers and four sisters. I'm the fifth. I'm the fifth daughter. (laughs) I feel that everything I know now, from my simple culture or the things I knew, 
the samples, the tools I use in handmade crafts is because of them. Because they're all artists. They drew well. Their voices were good. Their movements, everything they did was great. Boys and girls, none of them are professional artists. They just liked to do it. So I learned all of this from them and I'm one of them. But if they weren't all so beautiful or if I was more like them, I wouldn't have been so negatively influenced. <laughs> if I was more like them, I wouldn't have felt bad. But because being beautiful is... Because being beautiful in a young adult was important. As a family, we were financially stable. Our life was content, our food, our clothes. There wasn't any tragedy. They just favored beauty. So, so for example, my elder sister, she received a toy. Why? Because it doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl, but the elder is the elder. My parents loved her and favored her, but they also gave her responsibilities. So there were not only differences between the boy and the girl, but between one girl to another. My elder sister, the firstborn, even if they did wrong, everyone is with them. The youngest three, including me, even if without anything, we are guilty. This all was the weight of the mother, my mother, with the difficulty. She was very kind, beautiful, and caring, transparent. But uh, I don't want to say bad about her or anything wrong, but she was a young woman who got married young, so of course she didn't get the chance to learn this capability or her consequences, even if we tried to teach her. It was difficult. She's our mother. No one compares. I think um, all communication is cut between me and them now. Yeah, no connection at all now. For example, they didn't agree with the idea that someone leaves their home country. So there is no communication. No. Yes, all my siblings are in Iraq. They're all older and have children, all married. It's enough that we were in a small village. My dad was the sheikh, a big part of the community. So our house was always open for everyone, absolutely everyone. So as a family, they were proud. But sometimes within the family behind closed doors, there's pain. Without a word, without saying anything. No, nothing tragic ever happened. You know what I mean? But it's still with me, in me. But a lot has happened in life that isn't easy to forgive. I can't just go up to them, give them kisses, ask for forgiveness on both sides. And that's it. What I mean is that my mother nurtured my father, but cared about how our neighbors or people perceived us, how to protect our reputation, she would always give out gold or money, clothes or perfumes, so in the end, she is loved. She's the epitome of kindness, but she always gave others outside the family. So with that, 
It was a strict treatment with us, all of us, girls and boys. But people benefit from each other. Every day, two would take advantage of one. When someone does something wrong, our mother, instead of explaining why something is wrong, she would manipulate the entire family to be against the wrongdoer. But this is just a child. Anyways, all of this treatment and way of being raised, I think all households were like this, at least most. But there was one circumstance where it got more and more tedious until I just had to leave. I just needed to get out. Why? Because, because despite being open about art, as soon as I started being professional in it and appeared on TV, they didn't like it. This is the circumstance where there was humane. The family that I lived with, in one circumstance, suddenly turned on me. They said it was taboo as a principle. When I started working in the field of art, they told me it was taboo. Then I couldn't handle it. Imagine, up until then, I was with them. The design, the decoration, all of this. I tried to explain it wasn't much different. I love them despite all this trouble. So it wasn't my intention to cut off communication with them. But they forced me into it. Do you know what I mean? All of Iraq is connected. All its parts are connected with other parts. When this particular war started, it wasn't new for Iraq. For centuries, there has been war here. So, of course, there are consequences, not just by the U.S., but by others as well. It's just like a body. When one body part is in pain, the rest will also hurt. It stayed with us because we were young. These hardships, wars, and invasions of Iraq. But, speaking for myself, I try to translate that pain into art, into beauty. For example, when I was young, when I was in a situation that bothered me, whether it was war or anything, really, I translated it into poetry. I try to translate sadness into positive action. I can say, it was a chance for me to breathe. The first lecture I had in the theater department, the professor asked us, what is art? Or more, how do you interpret art? My interpretation of art is that I see it as an idea without structure. I consider art as a perfume. <laughs> it spreads without permission. In that case, you're an artist if you can tolerate life with its beauty and its ugliness. He asked us many questions to get to know us. He said, art is the inspiration of an object or topic. What he means is that everything in life can be turned into art. That is art. I believe that someone who cooks well is an artist. Someone who plants a beautiful garden is an artist. Someone who dresses in a fine, organized manner is an artist. So we reached a stage that he started recording this introduction to get to understand how we think, for him to keep a sample. Each lecture, the professor would open discussions of topic to start and keep conversation. So he asked, if an artist isn't an artist, 
What are they most like? So I said a person is like a horse <laughs> without thinking twice about what I've meant. But I have meant like a horse because it is a beautiful creature and I like them. But also that a person lived in simplicity, in all its details. A person doesn't really live if they don't clean their house, for example. You aren't living. You're just existing. Of course, I don't mean you. I mean a person. So because of that, even the word horse and artist are the same balance of syllabus in Arabic. He had asked, if a person isn't an artist, then what would they be? I mean, I was saying that anything in life is visually oriented. For example, for a person, it's important for them to wear new clothes. At any cost or brand, the point of this is that this person has a clean body, a good scent. This is the individual choice. That is art. When I go see an exhibition, when a piece is put in a frame, I feel like it becomes just a picture. Most of the time, I like a painting to be created and that's it, without any frames. I don't like to reveal my age, how many years I lived, but I have been in Turkey for three years. I completed my college studies and received my certificate. I created an archive, my films of my theater rehearsals, for example, the plays I produced, the poetry that I wrote. So all of this are things I feel were important. So I took them and took off to Turkey. I completed my university studies in Iraq. Sommer and I had always decided that we will get married and leave. He was in Baghdad, Iraq. He's a director and an actor. So he graduated, we got married, and we left Iraq. Turkey was the most convenient connection. It is the country that is open to refugees and immigrants. Look, naturally, it is human nature to adapt to a place. It is your country that you were born in or even lived in. The change can be difficult, whether it is religiously or society, even if it's just change in the weather. So it is difficult. Before traveling, when we first began our relationship, we planned, but we also kept busy. We counted our money to travel. Financially, it is difficult for us and we rely on our work. We left Iraq as successes, I had applied my last project there, which won prizes as Best Actress, for example. So the distance was difficult. And that is why we struggled. It is as if one was influenced from one thing to another. It was difficult because I was working in the field of art in Iraq, where it got to the point that the work available there was declining. The situation was becoming desperate and more difficult. The national security was rough on women and men alike. The risk was high on me as a woman. Do you know what I mean? We were in the city of Basra, and there must have been only five women working in the arts in the university. I was working with dance, writing poetry, singing, and I was traveling. These were things society didn't really understand. But Iraq in 1950s and 60s, it was the mother of art. I mean, I visited Egypt, and the Egyptian Minister of Sports and Youth had visited. She was a woman. 
She told me that Iraq created artists, even previous artists. Iraqis created the melodies and music for Egypt's, Iraq's, and even Kuwait's recordings. So changes are a must. It's the nature of a country. If the situation doesn't suit you, you either adapt or you migrate or you fight. I couldn't adapt. I couldn't fight. So I left. Look, by nature, people battle when they know what they are fighting for and if the battle is organized and the rules established. Do you know what I mean? But when in the end, the enemy has weapons in many varieties. And me, I have one weapon, and that is art. So it's not like I carry a sword and they also carry a sword. So that is why I left, because that difference is too much for individual citizens. But artists like me will want to fight for their place. An artist feels like they could carry a sword. I'm here to carry a sword. But to act, I'm here to play. My sword is my pen to write. That's the difference. So I cannot battle or adapt. Because of the foe against me, no wonder what my actions are. And their goal is not peace. But this type of work, my plays, they don't want because it crosses the red line. They want to silence me. No, this is the topic. Violence is not only physical, as in a husband hurting his wife at home or a man in the streets harassing a woman. No, that's not it. My opinion, which I worked into the play, is that a woman, the general picture, is created weaker. Not weak in abilities, but biologically. Do you know what I mean? I mean, a woman is created from similar elements of the womb. The womb for a woman is connected to her monthly menstruation. It exhausts her. That makes the woman more emotional. Her abilities are stronger in the end. When I said weaker, I'm speaking biologically. She gets her period and she becomes more reactionary. It is connected with her hormones. So then she's a fragile creature. And by fragile, I don't mean a soft voice or swaying walks. No, I mean biologically she's fragile. And so I view the woman scientifically like that. By this logic, all these details put together allowed women to be dominated and attacked and exposed to violence worldwide. My second point is, in Middle Eastern cultures, violence is power over the weak. In homes, she's the one who cooks, she feeds, she washes, she gets exhausted, she holds her emotions. And she has to be the one with willpower, as well as hygienic and beautiful. So if God, albeit giving her weaker biological qualities also gave her abilities, and he wouldn't have given her the ability to get pregnant and give birth or given her the responsibility of childcare if she was weak. That is my logic. Me personally, violence exists within us as females in Iraq or in the Middle East. It begins since childhood, when you're young. Everyone treats a girl with aggression. We must tell her not to be spoiled, to be modest with her body, not to talk or share her opinion. In my opinion, 
This is violence, to contain her when she's young, when every action she takes is followed by no, no, no. Then that is violence, to silence her and have it internalized. One day will come when she rebels and says no. I mean, I was a child. I do not have these. I've always wanted to be a boy. For sure, there is domestic abuse. It starts with ideological violence. Because any child, at any age, is told no. If they want to play, no. How many no's is said every day? It destroys the soul. The child's life has become a series of the word no. So what I mean, we must realize that this, it starts within the family. It starts when a girl is told, don't go into the street, especially when a girl grows with puberty. It seems that everyone is against her. Your clothes are too tight. That is violence in its entirety. But the violence that, I mean, in my opinion, this is what has become too much. The problem has become extremer than it should be. That you start getting denied good things. If you'd like to work in the arts, you find yourself taking action. For example, a professor who taught me art. He fantasizes a relationship with me. A taxi driver whose service that I'm paying for asks for my cell phone number. The Bawab, working at the university for women only, refuses to let me park inside on campus parking lot so he can watch me walk inside. That is violence. When I go to the market, I dress modestly with the hijab and other stuff. And I'll bait that. Hey there, gorgeous, they call. Sometimes with words, more with action because... I'm a woman, grade A girl. Can they harass a man this way? <laughs> I mean, they can, but they try to dominate over a woman more. I always wonder whether I can hit them. Once I hit a person with my ring, <laughs> I've always worn big rings. I, ha I have an issue because I'm always ready to fight. So I hit him. You have no idea the reaction of the others. They can't imagine our sex to hit. In my opinion, after what I saw here in the US, I believe the entire world is following this system of responsibilities. This system of culture customs we teach children at school. Actually, we learn from school, but we should really put the blame on the government. For example, there is a system that every person must follow. They learn the rules and apply them. The same in Turkey. A world without a system is chaos. People get married, one flirtatious look can lead to a lifetime together. But what I mean is that the world has certain culture traits and traditions they latched onto. Why? Because it created order for them. I wonder about a child, for example. If I hurt him, what do I gain out of that? Nothing. It becomes part of humanity. 
a kind of cooperation everywhere. Their humane laws and rules that everyone needs to obey because they're who aren't morally good. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? All in all, a person is made up of pieces. I mean, in the sense of you might love me, but you might not know how to express it. But you do. You love. You have your own different abilities, set of capabilities. Each person has their own set. I mean, me, for example, when I want to understand a person, I want to know their set of abilities. Do you know what I mean? So we are gifts from God. He gave us brains to learn and philosophize things around us without books, magazines, or anything. As an avid reader, I can have these thoughts or the meaning of them. All this reminds me of my childhood. I have to remember my memories to feel like I grew up. Despite circumstances, I realized that at home, in the streets, and everything in between, it's difficult. Life is difficult when you are forced, when others forcefully control your life. They weaken you. For me, the idea of relationships and marriage, it was never on my mind, because in general, I viewed men as harmful to women. And so I said, no, I will stay out of that idea and I will grow individually. To love, maybe that was a choice for me, to love. But commitment, no. Anyways, in university, many people go looking for spouses, or at least they believe in chance and faith that they will find somebody, or at least someone will approach them. It's a very Middle Eastern culture. I was a little open to the idea. I could have entertained the thought and met the person, but that's it. It was according to my fantasy. I grew up and matured. I studied more. When I entered university, it was all for artists, painters, and others. The world that I was in was dominated by men. I stood out, I sang, I danced, I acted, I stood out. I had little relations with men, but I did have more guy friends than I did women. <laughs> Anyways, I had a project I was working on in modern dance with a theme of Babel. So I went and I applied my work and I was introduced to Somer. I didn't have a problem talking to him as a man, as others do. And I didn't speak softly or in a flirty way. No, no, I, I spoke to him as myself. Why? Because when I go anywhere, I like to make friendships with men to prove that I don't need a man to love me. No, they can love me as a friend. And yeah, I don't mean to meet a man to fall in love with. And so he had needed someone to undo his braids. He had long, beautiful hair, so he had asked another female colleagues with us in the theater, so the woman he had asked had said, okay. Then she changed her mind. I can't. <laughs> Anyways, this woman, she went to the professor to ask permission to undo his braids, who in turn told her no. 
It's a possessive thing, as if he's afraid the boy will harm her. I know, backwards way of thinking over there. So we were all together in the room, and I had more experience in costume, makeup, and hair. I had asked him, how are you going to take out your braids without oil? He didn't have any, so I went to get oil and I started undoing his braids. And he neither had the intention that a woman was undoing the braid, that now I can get close to her. No, no. No, he's very confident in himself with women, that it's natural when I'm with him. He's how he is because he was brought up that way. Because any woman who needs to take certain actions she's unsure of, she needs to ask her professor. He's in charge. Me, I don't care for the professor's opinion. So I unbraided his hair for him. It's stupidity, my dear, stupidity. It's so a woman doesn't go out of line to stay with the group. No, not jealousy, but it's more like since we are in a group together, they say don't speak to anyone, don't dress too provocatively. And why? For example, when we wear clothes, they would say don't wear that, it's too open or don't wear too short to protect a woman. Yes, so we started getting to know each other and the next day I handed in my project and him his. Before we left, I called out for him. Wait, wait, give me your number. (laughs) My principle was to collect as much contact as possible who I connected with, who are made of the same stuff as me. I didn't care, oh no, but I'm a woman or that it's odd. And it was important for me to know people like me. Right now, to meet similar types of people here, I think it is the next phase for me and it will take some effort. Like right now, I'm sitting. No matter what I tell you that I'm an artist, you will not understand. But when I move just a little and add a little dance, then you would appreciate and like my art. And so I need to prove worthy of my art because it is my mind that wants people to like me. Not for my beauty or prettiness, but for my art. And when they loved me for my art, they will give me more. Here I have a problem in my bone, in my foot, since I was born. I've had this since I was a child. Since in Turkey we walked a lot and made a lot of effort, it started to grow. So I came here to Houston and I had a surgery on my right foot two months after we arrived. I still have one month to go on my left foot. And even with the cast, I'm still doing my own thing. I even prepare videos beginning in Ramadan. And I record my friends and I record going to the market in the car. I don't mind looking disabled. I don't mind you asking. It wouldn't be a full interview without that question. This happened in my childhood when I was one. Uh, with a meat grinder. I was a child. The thing is, the grinder didn't cut off my fingers, but it was mangled. The doctor said I was a child and it would have been too difficult to fix it. So they cut my fingers off, saying that I will eventually forget it because I was already too young. So I grew up. I wear rings and accessories on my left hand, but I don't on my right hand because I already consider it an accessory. My relationship with my hand since childhood 
changed and turned, of course. When I'm asked in school what the story is, they don't realize it's a lot simpler than what they expect. It's so simple. Every day I answer their question. I add new bit of the story, even though I don't remember it. Even if they don't ask, I still tell them the details. So when I grew up and I answered more questions, they tell me, that doctor who ruined your hand. And I tell them, no, if I saw him, I'd thank him. Because if it wasn't for him, I would have been just an average girl. But this made me stand out. They used to tell me to hide it even, but no, no, it's mine. Even on stage in theater. For example, some of the silly people would try to get me to use my left hand instead of my right one. I used to call it the queen <laughs> because Summer said he doesn't like it because he can't hold my hand as if I'm important like a queen. I consider the idea of being handicapped or disabled is more about certain people being against them. Not giving them support, not giving them help. But this biological or physical difference, I consider it an advantage. It's special because God gave you things in life. He didn't take that away. We have an Iraqi saying, Allah takes one thing and gives another. No, he gave me many things. I mean, I'm part of a certain group on Facebook. Every day I post action. The last post was a campaign to collect from women old or unwanted clothes or accessories. So I fixed them by sewing and I gave to children in aid. Either those who have special needs or for orphans. For example, a while back I asked for who liked to dance, sing, act. She can come over and I can train her in Middle Eastern dancing. Not belly dancing like in Egypt. Not that in Egypt. No, because most of it is crass and super sexual. By Middle Eastern, I mean Turkish, Irani, Iraqi dance. That. I just wanted to produce art. So the responses I got were perplexed and asked me, You have all this? So I tell them, I have 10 lives. They usually only mention seven lives, but I have ten. Just three days ago, we have this tradition in Iraq with food, when we first arrived. It usually takes place mid-Ramadan. We gather dessert and things for children, just like Christmas with cloth bags. So I made a campaign inviting people to come because this is inheriting folklore. And my line of work is specifically in folklore because refugees were large in numbers from Iraq, from Sudan, from Egypt, from Jordan, from many places. And I mean Iraqis from Egypt and so on. Also, the situation in Syria wasn't helping and is disabilizing the surrounding area. So this all depends on each city. Each city has a UN office, which organizes traveling schedules who gets to go, which city you will go live in. But to live here is difficult, and Somer never visited before, so it's difficult, but we don't have a problem with it. 
It was even more difficult when we lived in Turkey. We weren't allowed to work here as refugees. Their financially is more difficult. Daily life is more difficult. No, difficult because refugees aren't allowed to work. So financially, it was so difficult. When we arrived here, the person who sponsored us helped us and eased our minds. He told us where to go and what to do. And, and it wasn't all darkness. So it was different here. We came to a simple apartment with the simple services, modest furniture, nice TV, and good internet connection. We sold our cell phones and bought new ones. This was all easier on our souls because Turkey exhausted us. When we came, the first few days, we slept early in 7 p.m. We slept. The second thing is we didn't know anyone, only our sponsor. So little by little, the organization here, its service is very bad. People who don't want to cooperate and people difficult to handle. Here, the YMCA, I mean, really difficult, no help. So the energy feels against us. We were always used to, me and Sommer, sitting down for discussions, to talk to each other, to understand. One will make a new point, the other will calm them down. We remind each other of things in the past. Little by little, we began to focus. We began to get to know each other better. To adapt to each other, to buy furniture and an internet connection. These are simple things, but they cause closeness. So thank God, these seven months have been good. We weren't really religious to begin with. I naturally go through life not liking to stick my preference out there in public. I don't like saying, no, every day I do blah blah blah. Leave it to them. So because of that, my religious work is cooperation. I mean, if I'm kind, I consider that religion. Blind, unforgiving love is religion. I plant something nice. That's religion. Other than that, I don't like to get into it. I don't like naming my soul. I mean, we were born Muslim, but I don't want to inherit it. Because I don't like saying they're Muslim and I'm not. No, they're my family. I was born Muslim, but... I consider Islam or religion that I consider is right is loving one another and that's it. Thank you for listening. Join us next week as we meet Rosa, a woman who escaped the violence of El Salvador in search of a better life in Houston. It's part of a two-part episode.